All right. Were you guys undone by that worship? Wow. That was awesome. And uh, thank you, Craig, wherever you are, and amazing team for leading us. And uh, in Jesus, wonderful. I said, in Jesus, wonderful. My 21st birthday was a very memorable experience. And I received two checks for $1,000 each. But interestingly enough, it wasn't because I turned 21, and it also wasn't because of something I had done. It was for something I hadn't done. My grandmother had been a chain smoker, and which is really funny if you got to know her. She was like the most lovely woman. Kind of, when you say my grandmother's a chain smoker, it kind of sounds like a Harley Davidson writing. Uh, she was actually... Um, uh, a very dainty woman, but my grandmother had been a chain smoker, and my mom was horrified. This was in the, in the days, you know, when, when everyone was just smoking like crazy, and my mom was horrified because she thought, I'm going to lose my mother once the studies on cancer started coming out. And so my mom began pleading with my grandmother to stop. She was smoking like eight packs of cigarettes a day. And if any of you have ever tried to kick an addiction, it's incredibly hard. And so she struggled and struggled and struggled, but finally was able to stop smoking. My mom was so concerned as different people were dying of, of lung cancer around of this kind of fate for anyone in her family that my mom had this interesting proposal for me. I've never heard of it before, but she said, Robert, if you will not touch a cigarette, if you'll not even puff once on a cigarette, by the time you're 21 years old, I'll give you $1,000. Um, now, back then, $1,000 was a lot of money. I'd still say $1,000 is a lot of money, wouldn't you? <laughs> and so then my grandmother hears this and says, Robert, if you go to a uh, until you're 21 without ever touching a cigarette, I'll give you $1,000. So I was very motivated. And... You know, growing up, I, I imagine that every single person that's over 21 here at some point or other was offered a cigarette by someone. But I would always look at the person and say, no, thank you. If I don't touch a cigarette until I'm 21, I will get $1,000. You know what? No one ever said, oh, no, a cigarette's bad, better. Everyone went, yeah, I wouldn't do it either. And so that day that I turned 21, I got that money, and it was uh, an incredible celebration. Today, we're talking about the Antichrist. My message is entitled, Exposing the Antichrist to Turn Us to Jesus. Exposing the Antichrist to Turn Us to Jesus. And what I want to tell you is it's in that same spirit, that same thought of one of the greatest motivations to abstain from something is knowing something better is coming. And just as my mother warned me of the pain and the horrors that can be caused by having an addiction to nicotine. Now, I wish she would have done that for other things. Like, I, wonder, I wish she would have just lined up every kind of sin and said, if you just abstain from this and this and this, you know, I could have made a lot of money on my 21st birthday and it would have kept me out of a lot of more junk. But that's why I want to talk to you about exposing the Antichrist today because 
Jesus is so much better. And he wants to spare his church from experiencing the most horrific person that will ever walk the face of the earth. So first of all, what is the Antichrist? Well, first of all, you need to understand that anti or anti means this. And I encourage you to take notes tonight. As you know, we're in an end time series. We're in a series called The End. We're revealing the beauty and sovereignty of Jesus in the last generation. And anti means in opposition to or in place of. So anti in opposition to Christ or anti in place of Christ. And what does Christ mean? Christ means the anointed one. Christ means the Messiah. And so there will be, according to Scripture, there's numerous Scriptures. In fact, Daniel in the book named after him had these four apocalyptic visions. Do you know that three of them, the primary focus was the Antichrist? So this is a big deal. And Jesus, as a loving shepherd, just like my mother wanted to spare me of something horrible to come. Jesus spent time unpacking this person called the Antichrist, and so did the Apostle Paul, and so does John in the book of Revelation, so that we can know as a church this horrific person that's coming, but we can be aware of his schemes. Now, let me just do a little spoiler alert. Tonight, by the end of the night, you are not going to know which politician is the Antichrist. And in fact, I don't believe that the Antichrist has been revealed yet. I, I, haven't you heard, like, everyone has their idea of the Antichrist. I mean, I have heard every, every uh, Republican candidate, I hear someone say that's the Antichrist. Every Democratic candidate, I hear someone's the Antichrist. Every star that gets a little too <coughs> powerful, you know, Michael Jackson was the Antichrist. You know, I, I've, you've heard it about everyone. So what I'm not today going to do is by the end of the message, in case you were getting really excited about that, I'm not going to actually tell you who the actual Antichrist is. I don't know. But we are going to unpack him so you can be aware of his schemes, starting in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, and that's the main thing we're talking about in this series. Just tonight, we're just doing this side note and talking about the Antichrist because it's important. We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching that allegedly is from us, whether by a prophecy or word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. So let me stop there just for a second and explain much of the reason for the writing of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. It's to a church in what is now Greece. This is one of the early churches and Paul is writing, one of the main reasons is because there was this heresy that the day of Jesus had already come. Can you imagine? They're thinking, we missed it. Oh no, we're still on earth and he's come. And so Paul is writing them to say, hey guys, relax. You haven't missed it. So let me just tell you today, 2,000 laters, you haven't missed it. You haven't missed it. Jesus has not come for the second time. Now he did come for the first time, but he hasn't come for the second time, and now he's going to unpack some things that must take place before Jesus returns for the second time. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until, so be locked in here, until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. That man of lawlessness, if you're 
looking at this in your phone, just highlight that. That man of lawlessness is known as the Antichrist. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Last week, as I talked about the rapture, and if you didn't get that, I'd encourage you to go back. The rapture is the taking up of the people of God before the wrath comes upon the earth. I said, there's some things that have to happen before the rapture. So I actually don't believe that the rapture is going to happen this evening. I think it's coming. I think it's coming soon. I actually believe it's coming in my lifetime. I think the events that are taking place on earth make that clear. However, there's a couple of things that need to take place first. One of them, if you remember from last week, Matthew 24, 14. Matthew 24, 14, a theme verse of this church. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached into all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come that all nations in the Greek is panta ethne, which means all people groups. If you wonder why all people's church is always sending missions teams, always sending missionaries, always sending church planting teams, if you wonder why we're in Indonesia right now, why we're in the Middle East right now, why we're going to plant a church in Oaxaca where the most unreached people groups on our side of the world are, if you wonder why we're always talking and asking you to pray for more, it's because Jesus said, I can't return until every people group has heard. That's why Mitsu and Hannah are launching out in October to plant all people's Japan. So exciting about that. I want you to be praying. Yeah, praise God. I want you to be praying with me for Thailand. I believe we're going to plant very soon in Thailand. We still need team leaders to step up from that. That is why different ones. Daniel and Tori just came back from Stellenbosch. They were, did an incredible job over there. Kelly's right here on the front row. She just came back from overseas. We always have people coming and going. Why? Because we want to see Jesus return. Amen? And until we are a part, this is our part to play, Matthew 24, 14. That's not going to happen. But there's something else that Jesus says will happen before the end will come as well. And it's this. It's this man of lawlessness, or in Matthew 24, the abomination that causes desolation will come. And so that's what we're unpacking tonight. He says this in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, Do not let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. So we believe that we'll actually see the revelation of the Antichrist on the earth before the end comes. Now, just once again, let me tell you, the end will come. Jesus will come in glory and majesty. And don't get too scared tonight as we talk about the Antichrist. The Antichrist is bad. He is bad, bad. But Jesus is good, good. He's better. He's bigger. And spoiler alert, he wins in the end. So let's go through. I'm going to give you eight quick points, just like I did last week, eight, eight points on the rapture. I'm going to give you eight points to understanding who the Antichrist is, exposing the Antichrist. We're saying this not tonight to glorify him. We're just going through the points that Jesus gave us and that Paul gave us and that John gave us to expose him so that you will not fall trapped to any of his schemes. Number one, he is lawless. He's known as the man of lawlessness. I want you to see this first. It says, actually, he won't come until the rebellion has come 
or in another version that says until lawlessness, Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, there's a time of lawlessness coming and then the man of lawlessness comes. I believe that that spirit of lawlessness has been unleashed on the earth. You don't have to agree with me. Once again, I am teaching these things as I see them in the Bible, but different people have different end time views. My job as a preacher is to take this and my main role is just to make you fall more in love with Jesus, to help you love him more and to be prepared to be a victorious, beautiful, pure, end time bride. But I actually, I don't think anyone would disagree with me that a spirit of lawlessness has been unleashed upon the earth. Last week, you were seeing these awful shootings. This week, I'm seeing these militias. I don't know if you saw that, that are arming themselves, marching into towns. There is a spirit of lawlessness. There's violence. There's every, every person claiming their own type of sexuality. There is no more righteous standard in the land. And let me, let me just be very clear. Let me, let me equip us as a church one of the, the deceptions that's going on in our country is this, that we need to rid ourselves of law enforcement. Now, let me be very clear that there are things that have happened in our country that are travesty and tragedy, and people in power should absolutely be checked, right? And there should actually, everyone should be held to a standard to protect and preserve and especially people in power and law enforcement officers. But when there comes a time where we say all policemen or all law enforcement is bad and we want to abolish it, that is when you know a spirit of lawlessness has come in the land. Jesus is the righteous judge. Jesus is the righteous judge. And we need to pray instead of saying we need to do away with everything. Instead, we need to call people to a righteous standard. And we need to pray. And in this, the reason I bring this up is there are numerous law enforcement officers and people in different government positions in this church. And we need people in every position as the salt of the earth, living out a righteous standard who actually care for the poor, care for every people group, and believe and protect and serve. Amen? And so when, when all of a sudden what is supposed to be good is being labeled as bad, you know that there is a spirit of lawlessness that is, is being unleashed. So we don't want to partner with that. We want to call people to a higher standard. When, when people are committing atrocities, we absolutely want to stand up and say something, and we want to make our voice count, but even more so, we want to make our prayers count to transform this world. Amen. Here is my concern with lawlessness. Dictators don't take over countries typically through brute force. They do it in times of chaos. So if you study history, if you look at Adolf Hitler, potentially the worst dictator who's lived, that's debatable, of course. How did he rise to power? He rose to power in a time in Germany where there was tremendous in, uh, economic instability, where Marxists were creating riots in the street, and where young people didn't feel strong leadership. And so a man arose who promoted uh, an ideology of prosperity, of order, of blessing. But in the end, his intent was really 
for control and for destruction. And that is what is concerning me in our country right now as people are saying, you're, you're hearing this, there's this vacuum of leadership. People are saying, where's the strong leader? In a time of lawlessness, that is when the son of lawlessness can arise. I believe that the, the enemy is setting the stage for this kind of thing, and we as believers, we don't ever want to partner with it. We want to partner with the fruit of the Spirit. Love all people. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When something is going the opposite of that, that is when it is not from the Lord. Secondly, that was point one. Second, he will oppose God. Let's look at Revelation 13, 5 through 8. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies to exercise its authority for 42 months. We know when the scripture is talking about the beast, we know from Daniel's visions, the beast is synonymous with the Antichrist. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life. The lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Why would people worship the Antichrist? It is because he's not going to come on the scene with horns, a pitchfork. He's not going to be ugly in a red suit. No, he is going to come in a time of lawlessness offering answers, offering unity, offering prosperity, offering these different gifts to mankind. People will then turn to him, but you can see not everyone. And he will oppose God. He is anti-Christ. Now, he won't just oppose God, but watch this. He will proclaim himself God. He will proclaim himself God. Continuing on in Revelation 13. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and all who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that even he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of man. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Okay, you're like, what? First beast, second beast, worship, what, who? <laughs> what is going on here? Well, what we want to do is get the Bible to interpret the Bible. And so we're going to jump in a moment to Revelation 19 to help you understand who is this second beast. But hold that thought for a second. Why on earth would people believe that Antichrist is God? Like, why on earth would you believe someone living on earth is God? Well, there's a couple reasons. First of all, he has a fatal head wound. He has a head wound that looks like it kills him, but all of a sudden he's living again. It is just like Jesus rose from the dead. He is the Antichrist. He is mimicking in a satanic way what Jesus did. And so people will think, oh my goodness, we just saw this resurrection take place. Certainly he's God. The second thing it says that he does is that he does miracles. He has a mighty power 
about him, even fire coming and consuming people. Remember the the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel where fire fell down. People are going to say, well, certainly this person is from God. Certainly this person is God. Who can raise himself from a headwind? Who can breathe fire and destroy people? And so people from all over the world he is an antichrist, will come and actually begin to worship him. I believe he'll start like a, a worldly governmental power providing solutions, but we will soon see him coming into a place of being worshipped. Let's look at Revelation 19 because you're thinking, okay, the second beast, first beast, second beast, here is gonna, this is going to explain it. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army, but the beast was captured and with it the false prophet. So if you're taking notes tonight, who's the second beast? He is the false prophet. Now, just like there is a holy trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there is a demonic trinity. The dragon, which is Satan, the beast, which is the Antichrist, the second beast, which is the false prophet. The dragon, Satan, mimicking the Father, the beast, Antichrist, mimicking Christ, and the false prophet, mimicking the Holy Spirit, more of a religious leader, doing signs and trying to point worship towards the Antichrist. Fourth. Number four, you saw that in this scripture, he will lead the armies of the kings of the earth against Jesus. So he will be the one who leads the battle. He will lead in this, in this battle, this last battle against Jesus. Another spoiler alert, he gets beat. Jesus overcomes, which is absolutely awesome. Here we go, point five. He will set himself up in the temple. This is another reason why people believe he is God, is he will actually set himself up in the temple of God. So he's going to actually come into Jerusalem. He will set himself up in the rebuilt temple. It's amazing being in Israel this summer and going into the, the temple museum, Craig was just there, where they actually show how everything's ready and they have all the new plans to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Like it is, it is ready. And so all that needs to happen is a treaty. A treaty has to be made and that can be rebuilt. Now the interesting thing about the Antichrist is he will actually, oh, I can't, I don't want to give that away yet. He's going to make a treaty, but that's 0.7. All right. Number six. Just have a couple more points here. Stay with me. He will control all commerce. Now, this is probably the thing that people know most about him, the thing that scares people the most. Listen to this. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. This is called the mark of the beast. Now, another reason why I believe the uh, end is near is this is the first generation where this technology is made where all of commerce is becoming digital. So, up until this generation, you could have never controlled the whole world's commerce because we had actual paper money. 
We had these different currencies in every country. I've been traveling the world the last 20 years, and every country you go in and you'd exchange money. Anyone done that? And you're always trying to get the right exchange rate. You're like, oh, no, don't exchange at the airport. It's horrible there, you know. And then they're always like, don't exchange with, you know, Joe on the side of the road because he's going to rip you off. If you travel lately, though, what you realize is, oh, I'm just traveling with my card with the little chip in it. And I can just go and basically anywhere I go, man, you're just using electronic currency around the world. And now they've created chips that they're putting in your pet Fifi. So Fifi doesn't get lost. They can put that. And if you, if you go home and look at this, for the first time, uh, different tech companies are putting chips in their employees. Okay, I don't know why any employee would ever let a company put a chip in them, but they're putting it in their hands. Now, uh, am I saying that that's the mark of the beast? No, I'm not saying that's the mark of the beast. But what I am saying is for the first time in, in the history of man, a person could control all commerce as it's all going digital, and there's even the technology to implant under your skin that then people can read and think about it. It's brilliant. People are like, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to, as things get more lawless, man, someone's going to come up and steal my wallet. No, but they, they, you know, if I have a chip in me, they can't steal it, okay? Now, am I saying, man, you need to be really scared or am I going to accidentally get the mark of the beast? No, I don't believe that is going to happen. I, I believe that people are going to see this person. And one of the reasons we need to warn the church is so that when you see and think, hey, you know, this person is acting like a Messiah, you know from last week. No, the Messiah is coming in the clouds. The Messiah is coming in power and glory. He's not going to rise out of some political regime. He's not going to be someone that shows up in a nice slick suit. No, Jesus is coming on the clouds. I don't think it's going to be a temptation for you to get this this mark, because you're going to understand who Jesus is and who the Antichrist is. But if your employer tries to chip you, I would encourage you not to take it. <laughs> Point seven. <laughs> he, will, he will make a peace treaty or covenant with Israel. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death. The anointed one was Jesus, of course, and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. At that temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until that end is decreed, is poured out on them." So he will actually at first seem good, the nations will like him, Israel will like him, and all of a sudden it will turn, and it will turn very, very bad. Why? The Antichrist wants to destroy Israel. Why? Because the Antichrist and the devil knows that Jesus actually, when he comes back, he will come and he will take the seat of David. 
Jesus will actually come into Jerusalem. He will be welcomed in, and there he will set up his millennial reign. And so the Antichrist knows at the end of that, I'm going into the pit. I'm going into the prison. I'm going into hell forever. And so who he wants to destroy is Israel. Because if he can take them out, then Jesus can't go back and sit on the throne there. And so the Antichrist, and if you wonder, why does everyone hate Israel so much? It's just this tiny little nation on the coast. It's because Satan hates Israel. Because he knows if I can wipe them out, then Jesus can't come back and rule on his rightful throne. Like that's why there will always be an animosity towards Israel. That's why there'll never be peace in the Middle East. Do you know that? Until Jesus returns. It's impossible. That's what the Bible says. And that's why we stand with Israel. That's why we love Israel, because it will be the returning place of our King Jesus. Amen. Number eight, let's turn the corner. This is the great news. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom, this is awesome, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow who the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth. That's how powerful Jesus is. The breath of his mouth. He'll overthrow him and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Just the, I mean, Jesus, it's just his mouth. It's just the splendor that emanates from Jesus. If there's one thing I want you to see in the end time series is Jesus is coming in splendor. And even just his breath. Destroys the most powerful person who's ever lived upon the earth. He's that good. That's your king. So my, my point is this. You don't have to fear. So many people don't want to hear. You're like, don't tell me about the Antichrist. La, 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 la. Too scary. No. Your king destroys him with the breath of his mouth. He shows up in the splendor that emanates from him. It says his face shines like the sun shining in all its brilliance. That's your king. So let me finish with this because my concern is we're seeing so much of the church becoming partnered with so much more of the world. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 11. This is the reason I'm talking about the Antichrist tonight because there's a spirit of lawlessness. There's, there's an Antichrist spirit. The Antichrist will be a real person, but let me just tell you, there's a lot of Antichrist spirits at work in the world right now. And I don't want us to be deceived or taken away because the church is getting so deluded. But that's not your call, beloved. Your call is to love Jesus and to let your heart burn for him and then it to come out of you and affect the atmosphere around you. 2 Corinthians 11:3 but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's coming cunning your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ that's what God wants you say what does God want from me he wants sincere devotion to Jesus for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Let me just tell you, there's so many other gospels being preached, and so many people are, are getting deluded and running after everything, but let me tell you, we are called to run after Jesus, the glorious splendor 
of the one who was born of a virgin, who died a sinner's death on the cross, but who had no sin, who rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death, and is coming back on the clouds to make this world right. That is what you were called to. And he's returning to a church that's on fire for him, not partnering with the world. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, last verse I'm going to read. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And what we've already established is we're in the last days. We know that Peter said in the last days. That was 2,000 years ago. So he said this is the last days. We know, I believe, as I've said every week, I believe this is the beginning of the end of the end times. There will be terrible times in the last days. Now listen to this and see if you don't think this is our generation. And then things have changed in, the, in, in this 20 years of my adult life. I'm 44. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, having nothing to do with such people. Let me just draw out a couple of these. In, the, in my adult life, and even just in, in my 20 years of ministry, that, that I, we're seeing this love of self like never before. There's this self-idolatry, self-fulfillment, self-satisfaction. Uh, in, in my day as a young person, and, and let me just, this is going to step on a few toes, but you would have never taken a camera and gone like, and taken a picture of yourself. You would have been called a poser. But now that's normal. And, and, and I'm, am I saying if you've done that this week, like you're, you know, you have the mark of the beast? No, of course not. I'm just saying that's where culture has taken us in, into just being lovers of ourselves. How about pr proud? Back, back in my, when I was a kid, I remember watching uh, professional athletes and they'd make a great play. And I remember, like, the quarterback running back to the huddle, just kept his head down. Everyone's slapping him, but, he, you know, he'd just run back. Now, if someone scores a touchdown, it looks like they've hired choreographers to help them create the most sensational dance that they all get in and do. I mean, it is, it is, it is so proud. It's so prideful. It's so about ourselves. And, and, and it's not just this. It's, I mean, those are just two little funny ones that I'm talking about. But e e even in this last six months, I'm, I'm hearing about children and parents. And, and the divide between Christian parents is, is so, and, and Christian ch children, they're saying, I'll never even talk to you again. Uh, this, this crazy hatred that's going on. This, I mean, you've seen it right on social media. Churches being split in half because of different views on things. Let me just say, that is when we know we're, we're, we're missing it. Like, if, if voicing your view is going to tear the church apart, then hello, maybe we should not be as vocal about tearing people apart when the highest of these is love. The, the main message of this is let us not partner with an antichrist spirit. 
let's check ourselves and, and, and hold up our lives to the standard of the word and, and, and wake up and just say like, all this love of self, all this crazy, any sexuality, I mean, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm reading about things that are happening now from Christian authors. I can't even read the Christian books about the sexuality that's happening because it's defiling my mind of what I'm learning about what's going on in the sexual world right now. It is, it is demonic, and it is set to, the enemy came only to steal, kill, and destroy. But what I'm afraid is we're just being led like a lamb away to the slaughter. We've got a hook in our mouths that's just leading us. We're being carried away in our nation by our media, by everything we're watching, by every movie, by everything we're seeing, into an antichrist spirit. And why do I want to preach about that so boldly? Because when we're taken into that, we miss the goodness of Jesus. He loves you. In his presence is the fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so what's our call in this hour? Our call is to look at our lives and repent. Right? It's time to stop just saying in the church, feel better. Here's the three keys to being a little happier. I don't know if the world's ever going to get happier anymore, but we as a church can certainly get holier. And I think when that happens, we will experience true joy because we'll have communion because the Bible says the pure in heart will see God. Oh, I've got to stop. I'm going to stop preaching. Let's stand up. <laughs>